Boom, what's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakyan. Very excited to be talking about the best practices for community risk reduction. We have Annie Oak joining us on the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really My appreciate it. I'm very excited. Thank you, me too. Yes, we're very grateful that we were introduced to you by Mike Margulies and Psychedelic Seminars and your talk that you did with Ismail Ali from MAPS. That was a very, very powerful conversation that you two had. And I'm really grateful that we're able to learn more about your work and invite you onto the show. Here we are now. And your background's super interesting. Annie Oak is a partner at Take Three Presents, which is a San Francisco-based event production company that orchestrates peak experiences to catalyze personal and society evolution through the production of private immersive art and music events with a focus on health and safety for participants. She's also the founder of Women's Visionary Congress, which since 2007 showcases women who work with non-ordinary states of consciousness, activists, healers, researchers, artists, and spiritual leaders. All these links can be found below to Take Three Presents, the Visionary Congress, and even dancesafe.org, which we'll be talking about soon. All right, Annie, let's start things off with this big history perspective on civilization. We find ourselves as stewards of Earth. What is your current take on the state of humanity? I'm feeling optimistic today. Um, I think that people have a sense that we need to come together for a common purpose. I think that people are focusing on being more inclusive, uh, including as many voices as possible in public discourse, uh, on addressing serious issues like climate change and uh, social equality. Uh, human and civil rights, um, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about our potential to evolve and uh, take care of each other. I love that. And what would you say is one of the core principles uh, that can help people have that good discourse and come together to tackle these pressing challenges that we face? Sense of common purpose, a sense that we need to look out for one another, a sense that we're all in this together, uh, collectively as uh, uh, your immediate community and your larger community here in San Francisco. We've got some issues that we really need to address collectively as a city here, and it's true in all places. And then we, uh, we have obviously taken quite a bit of time to unpack the importance of meditation and psychedelics in, these, in this ability to feel that common sense of purpose here on Earth. What would you say are some of the best ways to get to that common sense of purpose and taking care of each other? Um, figure out who your community is. Who is your community? What group of people do you feel most uh, kinship with? How does that community show up for and take care of one another when things get tough? And how do you make connections to other communities outside your own? Interesting. So the power of the connections within your community um, and nourishing those and then also from community to community and extending the kinship to like the global village. Yes. 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 Okay. Annie, how did you become who you are today. Talk, tell us about your journey leading up to this, this radical risk reduction that you now. Well, I've been a member of different kinds of communities. Um, I was always a really 
big fan of art and music festivals. Um, when I was a kid, really, I started going to Grateful Dead shows and saw the kind of deadhead community that grew up around those shows. Um, people really took steps to look after one another and had a sense of um, kinship and a sense of uh, really just looking after one another, in, especially in chaotic uh, music festival environments. Um, also have really uh, appreciated and enjoyed the Rainbow family. Uh, they've been looking after, taking care of one another for many years. Um, and teach us more about the Rainbow family. Uh, it's, a, it's a community of uh, people who've been having large gatherings since the 1960s. There are no designated leaders. They often do it at uh, uh, you know, large parks and public spaces. Uh, they've survived for many years. Of course, there's the Burning Man community. I've been going every year since 1996. I've learned a lot of lessons out every there. Every year? Yes, every single year. So you're at, so your 23rd year? I believe so, going. yeah. Other people have been going for years, not just me. You know, there's a community of people who have been going there for a long time, but it's been a good place to wow. learn about that community and um, uh, learn how to do, you know, I ran a Burning Man camp for a couple years and I, I learned a lot from that community. Yeah. So, uh, you know, different communities, uh, certainly the sex positive community here in San Francisco. Mm. I've been here in town uh, in this city for about 20 years and mm. um, I was a board member of the Center for Sex and Culture, mm -hmm. uh, the, the play party community and the sex positive communities have all done a lot for risk reduction too. Mm -hmm. And it's also, when I, when you, when you're, as you're teaching me about your journey, I'm, I'm actually realizing that it makes total sense that you became who you are because of all of the different stimuli that led you to to events that led you to, um, um, also that led you to uh, like things like Burning Man and things like seeing how pe communities of people take care of each other. That seems to be, you know, uh, make a lot of sense about, you know, how you got to, to where you are today. So then how did it, how did it, the, the transition or this moment happen for you where you were like, okay, well, I've been learning a lot about the best community guidelines and practices. How do I then take a startup production organization that focuses on this? What were those moment, the moment for you? Uh, well, I'm a journalist by training, science reporter by avocation. Um, I was uh, in the early 2000s covering a lot of um, conferences and gatherings that talked about the healing potential of psychedelics. Um, I couldn't help but notice that a lot of these events there were mostly men speaking and not a whole lot of women. And I thought, well, that's funny because I know a whole lot of women who are researchers and healers and activists and artists and spiritual leaders who, um, who are really gifted and, and had some really great ideas. And it just felt like they weren't getting uh, their voices heard. So I, you know, my personal philosophy is if you want to change the world, throw a better party, right? Yeah, yeah. So I threw a party. And uh, it was the first Women's Visionary Congress in 2007. 
Uh, almost 100 people showed up. Uh, we heard from 23 amazing women. It was open to people of all genders and always has been. Yeah. Uh, some men spoke. Later, we included transgendered people. Um, uh, and it was, it was a success, I think. Uh, by 2008, we had formed a nonprofit called the Women's Visionary Council, and we were producing events all over the US and Canada. Our next event is going to be in Oakland, June 14th to 16th. Mm -hmm. You can read about it on the visionarycongress.org website. Um, so we gathered a lot of information um, about best practices, health and safety, from that community of women, especially the elders. We really made a point of making it multi-generational so that information could be passed from one generation to the next as is done in many traditional societies, right? Yeah. So uh, in addition to holding an annual women's congress and salons and um, gatherings in the US and Canada, we started to do a series of risk reduction workshops mm -hmm. where we taught uh, what we considered to be the three most important drug safety skills. Yes. How to properly use naloxone or Narcan to prevent opioid overdose how to properly use a milligram scale so that you don't or other people don't overdose by ingesting too much of something and uh, finally how to use reagent testing kits that are available online to make sure that you know what you're taking and that you don't inadvertently poison yourself by taking an adulterated substance. Yes, and then that's Dance Safe is the one that um, helps provide these reagent testing kits. They do. Uh, Dance Safe is a nonprofit. They've been providing these reagent testing kits on their website uh, for many years, and they provide reagent testing services at many yes. festivals and events. Uh, they're great people. DanceSafe.org, big shout out. Big shout out. Okay. Okay. And then. This and you know, Dance Safe is one of the components. You have so many of these components for your best community practices um, for uh, for risk reduction. So let's 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 talk about um, you know you you gave these really cool workshops at the Women's Visionary Congress, and it was really cool um, hearing about those. Plus the uh, the vision that you have for 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 seeing more, um, especially female leaders, step forward and be able to voice their their thoughts about how to best um, how to best uh, have work with showcase the experiences of non ordinary states of consciousness. This is very very important. And now that sort of led you to then doing uh, take three presents. Okay, and then take three. So the women's visionaries around uh, 2007, take threes around 2013, and then you guys are getting these rolling a couple of these events a year, um, leading up to about a thousand people per event. And these are you know multi-day long events, and they're popular largely because it creates a safe container, a safe space for people to experience these altered states of consciousness or even just play and all this type of stuff. So yes, please teach us about how this kind of got started and then we'll get into those best practices. Well, uh, I uh, ran a large Burning Man camp for a few years, learned uh, a few things about that, started a tea house called the Full Circle Tea House. because I, I saw at Burning Man that there weren't enough spaces that weren't bars 
where people could just come and rest and hydrate and lie on soft pillows and drink a nice cup of tea and have conversations. Yeah. And uh, so I, you know, Burning Man was kind of my academy. I, I learned how to, to build a camp, build a tea house, recruit crew, do big art projects. And uh, I got together with a couple of other friends who also had some similar experience running big Burning Man camps, uh, running art and music uh, at these camps. And, and we thought, you know, we know a lot. Uh, why don't we just throw a little party of our own? And we did, and uh, people loved it. And uh, that was back in 2013. And, and now we, we hold you know, these private art and music parties. Um, I think they're unique in certain ways. Um, and, uh, and certainly a focus on health and safety, I think, yeah. is attractive to people. We have also uh, uh, really supported a community of artists, which is uh, the most important thing, I think. Uh, we help raise money to create uh, good art and help support the community of artists here in the Bay Area, um, acknowledge their work, create opportunities for people to create art, and then create a a safe container so that people can do really fun, wild art and uh, be acknowledged for that. And this is now thousands of people over over like a dozen or so events, um, and it's just crazy thinking about all the people that have been able to experience this in a in a place that you've crafted through your experience that enables this to happen. And. I, I really, I really want to for people to get an idea of, of some of the things you mentioned, like these practices of like, you know, a, like a tea house and you, um, you have a, like snuggling and an art and music and dance, but even also swimming. So there's a wide array of, of things here for people to experience and play with and test. And then sometimes people have altered states of consciousness. It happens. I, I think that the desire to change one's consciousness is an innate human trait. Do believe this? Yeah. We do it in lots of different ways, not just through substances. Yeah. Every night you go to sleep, hopefully, and you dream. That's that right. is also an altered state of consciousness. That's right. Our dream lives. But art and music bring us into an altered state. Being outside in nature, yeah. swimming and other athletic, you know, active things, snuggling with people you really like, you know, all of this, dancing, um, lots of things do, yeah. right? Yeah. Lots. Yeah, and you're right, it's definitely not just uh, substance, it's substances, it's so many of these other things you listed are such profound ways of shifting our, and it's, you, it's interesting that you point out that you think that we have a, like a proclivity to go towards those altered states, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Every morning I get up and I drink a strong cup of coffee, I love that altered state. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right, that caffeine is... Yeah, it's brought in exogenously into the body to change the state. Yeah, yeah, but we don't typically think of, of caffeine and coffee as an as a as a state changer, consciousness state changer. So I think that's that's an important point. Then this is so important. These are the best practices for health and safety that um, that you've figured out. And there's so many powerful ones here. I'm very excited to get to these. And 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 you you taught you taught me this too that. This is not just a, 
you know, it has to be like this for every community. You make it clear that adapt to your communities, how these best fit and best work, which I think is very important. Let's start off with this identifying and empowering leaders. Yes. So whatever community you're part of, I think it's really important that you decide what your values are. What are your values as a community? Do you want people to be treated with fairness, with gentleness? Great. State those values and then figure out who are the leaders in your community? Who are the most respected people in your community and how are you going to empower them to uphold those values, right? Because conflict, disagreements, miscommunication is all part of the human condition. Hurts a lot of communities. Figure out how you're going to address that in ways that reflect your own values. Interesting. So the identifying and empowering leaders has a lot to do with uh, having a community discourse around shared values. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, I, and then when you find people that are able to maybe take leadership roles, maybe they have the time and they have a developed a long period of, 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 of building up the skills that make them a good leader, then you can empower them that way. Then this is cool. Documents setting expectations. Yeah, if you... Uh, part of a community, you want to say, here are our community values. I think that people should be respected. I think they should be heard. I think that they, they have a right to uh, be treated with fairness. Whatever your community value is, um, it's good to write it down and say, yeah. here are our values. If you violate these agreements somehow, let's think about a process about how we're going to address that. Because, you know, like I said, conflict is part of the human condition. So you kind of plan for it, right? And, and, and also find ways to uphold a sense of community harmony and shared values as well, right? By laying out, you know, perhaps on paper, perhaps yeah. if you're a Yours is an oral tradition, yeah. however you do it, um, what your values and expectations are, and then what might happen if people don't uphold those expectations, and who are your community leaders who will help people to understand what the expectations are. Uh, th this is describing all kinds of traditional communities and non-traditional communities, right? It's a basic process. Yeah. And when you, when you document the values, it then becomes easier for the community to be able to, to see it and experience it. And then also the kind of like, it becomes in a sense, a kind of like a judicial processes as well for what we're about to talk about with consent and with all these other things. Yeah. So that way there's no questions really. It's kind of like we already had this written down that this, these were the steps and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Then this was, this was very uh, new, new to me, um, the, invitation only with sponsors so you've built up your um, your events by those that attend the events can sponsor someone else so like I could sponsor Ron and then I would be responsible for if Ron made a mistake or did something wrong so that way it's a very kind of like a tight closed loop with who you bring in you have to make sure they're good yeah, yeah exactly it's an accountability system right if, if you invite me to a party and you say, you can come to this party as my guest, I'm responsible 
for you and everything you do at that event, I will probably be on my best behavior because I don't want to make you look bad, right? And I want to abide by the agreements of the community. And um, so it's a powerful way to hold people accountable uh, for the people they invite, for themselves. Um, you know, it's an old idea, yeah. right? Uh, my favorite example of this are sex parties. And a lot of the sex party communities around the world, you know, this is part of many of those communities' structure. You have to vouch for somebody, vouch for them as a good person, and then you're responsible for the people you invite. It's a pretty simple idea, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the accountability that that creates. That's a very great point. It's almost as though when you're uh, in, a, in, in someone's home and, 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 and um, your friend, your guest through a friend, that you need to like, clean up your dishes and like, you know, and th these types of basic things in the house. Otherwise, your friend looks bad that they brought you and you're not cleaning up after yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing, really. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And then I'm sure that that also makes it of course, then, if, since there are these altered states of consciousness, this is even more important than just dishes. This is on a whole new level with consent as well. Actually, when you said this to me, I thought that this was quite unique because we're so addicted to technology. We're so addicted to social media. We're so addicted to talking about everything, consuming that digital stream of consciousness, that when you said that we don't do press, that we don't do social media, that I was like, interesting, okay. Well, uh, there's a value to immediacy of experience. And there's also a, a value in um, uh, being circumspect about all the details of magic that you want to create, right? And um, so, you know, we have our own uh, rules about how people can discuss these gatherings um, and I think by and large that works pretty well. Um, I think that um, certain communities can, can create their own private social media platforms. A lot of communities do it on Slack for yeah. instance or other apps where they have a whole social media world that's private. Yeah. to that community and I think that's a really interesting model closed groups closed for groups, social media closed yeah. lists um, sure they're closed Facebook groups as well you know I mean people have different ways of approaching this yeah yeah mm -hmm. interesting and the whole no press thing is also interesting too I, th I think sometimes you learn these lessons the hard way I'm a reporter by training and um, I think there's power to creating your own story and not necessarily allow it to be interpreted by others. And um, I think many of us have learned hard lessons about that. Many, many people have. Um, yeah. And then you don't serve alcohol, too. So you, there's altered states of consciousness, but you were actually listening to me some very um, impressive figures about alcohol uh, increasing aggression and and um, and and kind of hurting the consent conversation uh, to kind of like making it harder to to interpret consent and that type of stuff 
Yeah, I think alcohol is a tricky drug. Um, obviously, a lot of people use it. It's easily accessible, etc. Pretty much all of the entertainment industry is built on the, the model of alcohol sales, you know, to support clubs or events, yeah. that sort of thing. I think uh, we made a decision at Take Three that we weren't going to serve or sell alcohol, and I, I think that served us really well. Um, uh, I think personal use and personal quantities is is a fine. You know, I, I think it's. Uh, doesn't impact the community the same way that running a lot of bars does at an event, or free bars like at Burning Man, for example. Um, I like a cold beer on a hot day. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm not a prohibitionist with alcohol. Mm -hmm. I just think that when you make it the center of your event by having a bar, uh, then uh, it encourages people to drink more uh, alcohol often doesn't mix well with other substances, dehydrates people, yeah. hard to stay hydrated and therefore happy, cheerful, and healthy in the heat, especially. Um, it certainly uh, complicates consent issues. It makes people more aggressive and less aware of personal space. And, um, and it's nice to be able to offer environments without it. That's why I started a tea house. Yeah. And uh, the Full Circle Tea House that I started at Burning Man uh, does serve at Take Three events. And, um, and it's now run by a collective based in Oakland. Shout out to the collective. Yep. Uh, if you want to hire them for your event, let me know. Be happy to introduce you. Yep, yep. This is a, this is a cool principle that I think of many people when we experience our normal day-to-day -day lives we see so much alcohol consumption as a normality and cannabis consumption now as a normality so tobacco yes. consumption as a normality um, so uh, to be able to have a countercultural perspective to that I think is extremely extremely important um, what are the altered states of consciousness that potentially maximize the um, society's potential towards unity and not drive us potentially further away in some cases what about reagent testing? You were teaching us about dance safe earlier. And what does that what does it mean to take a substance and and how do we know that this testing is 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 high efficiency that we know that how do we get the readout that it's the right um, substance? Teach us about this process. Um, well, there are different ways to test substances. The the most common way is um, uh, to do reagent testing. Um, you can buy reagent tests uh, via the DanceSafe website. You can buy them online. Used to be able to buy them on Amazon. I think they just took them off uh, Amazon. Mm. Um, and what would it look like to have a read? What does that look like, a reagent test? And so the reagents are, uh, are chemicals uh, that you uh, add to a sample of a substance that you want to test. So like a little piece of psilocybin or... So you take a, a little piece of a substance, you're not quite sure what it is, or maybe you think you know, and you want to make okay. sure it's not adulterated, uh, and you, you put it in a little ceramic dish or on a plate, uh, and then you add uh, some of the reagent. Um, and different reagents will test for uh, different substances or, or, um, 
or uh, a substance you're particularly testing for. Um, and there's a color chart. Okay. And that reagent will turn your sample a certain color, and that color will indicate the presence of that substance. So you can both confirm what uh, you think it is you've got with that substance, yeah. and also see whether perhaps it's turning another color and it's a substance you didn't expect it to be. Yeah. The important thing here is that fentanyl, mm. synthetic opioid, very dangerous, causes overdose um, and sometimes death in very small quantities, has been found in many street drugs yeah. and many counterfeit pharmaceuticals. And it's important to encourage people to uh, test what it is they have so that they don't inadvertently overdose or poison themselves or others. It's wow. really important. And um, DanceSafe does this testing at many events. Um, and it's really important that people learn about it and learn how to use these kits or go to a DanceSafe booth at an event. Uh, there are symbiosis, there are lots of big events and test your substance. Make sure that you're not inadvertently poisoning yourself or other people. <sighs> That's a really scary one that if if yeah if we if we if people can potentially die or have serious uh, health issues from um, from not testing substances this is a, this is a very very important one I'm I'm curious um, a little bit more on the on does DanceSafe have this for like LSD and MDMA like which do you know if it's all subs all substances or, or you can test for a lot of substances lot of with their reagent kits and there's a lot of information on their website on the website about this yep. interesting mm -hmm. okay okay and it's a pretty clear like if it's this color all the way on this side it's 100% right if it's way over here on this other color it's totally wrong it's not that well nothing's 100% but it's somewhere. but it but you can you can do some pretty accurate uh, testing uh, mass gas chromatograph testing, you know. Chromatograph? You, you, uh, there, there are different uh, ways to test various substances, um, and uh, there are more sophisticated pieces of equipment oh, okay. that, oh, okay. that are, are used by commercial laboratories. Oh, sure, sure. Um, so there, you know, there are a lot of different uh, ways that one could test these substances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will be great to, when these experiences become more and more common to be able to go to the locations that are near your communities to go and test with very high fidelity. Mm -hmm. um, now, what about, this is, the, okay, this was a big part, the culture of consent. This is a massive, we, we've sat down with Aurora Quinelmore, who's a major proponent of enthusiastic consent culture, and we, we really hugely, um, you know, Coco McKenzie, who's doing really powerful work in the space as well, and this has become a reoccurring, um, super important conversational piece now, um, especially during the Me Too movement, all this type of stuff, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's a really big awakening that we're having with this with this process, and this is a huge part of your documentation and your community values. That this is the way that we do things. Like we, it has to be a hell yes, a hell yes, hell yes, a hell yes. Yeah, make sure a yes is a hell yes. Yes. You no, know, it's affirmative consent, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that. You know, is a good rule of thumb, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
So uh, yeah, I think I think it's we certainly do all we can do to support a culture of consent, and um, and it's not just sexual consent, you know, like be careful with like roughhousing with people, you know, uh, don't don't inadvertently get too rough when you're playing with folks, like be you know check in with folks before you touch them or roughhouse with them, um, don't dose people with substances without their consent. Of course. That's yeah. a big one. That's I mean they're basic ethics, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean this is a basic ethical, you know, approach to caring for other folks. And now now I'm curious what your perspective is on like if you know if you are doing some um, but both parties are interested in what is occurring and maybe one is uh, you know uh, and like you're, you're, like you said, don't roughhouse too much. Uh, maybe ask, like, can I go a little bit? Can I? Can you? Would you be interested in me going a little bit rougher or whatever it may be? Yeah. In the sense, um, is that typically? It's it's usually better to ask for you know for permission rather than forgiveness in a, in a in like a consensual um, environment for like physical physicality. Definitely, consumption. and yeah. and don't assume that because. Uh, you might have given me consent to, to do a certain thing that that extends to other things, like ask for consent along the way. Yeah. Like I can say, Alan, you know, is this okay? And you'll go, yeah, that's great. And then I'll, and then I'll go, well, is this okay? Right? So just keep checking in, keep checking in yeah. you know, yeah. with people to see like, uh, like, you know, don't assume it's a steady state. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a moving series of negotiations. Yes. Right. Yes. 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 And then um, also, I want you to teach us about um, your systems for uh, for reporting and for the violations that occur. So yeah, teach us about how to handle this well. Well, I mean, every community is going to do this differently. It's got to reflect your own community values that you've agreed upon, like whatever that set of values are. But uh, for communities that I'm part of, uh, best practices, I really like the idea of forming an in-house health and safety team yeah. for your events. Let's say you're producing a big party and uh, you've decided that you want to have some like, safety teams at the party. Um, you go as far as to have your own medics and counselors. We have a number of safety teams. Yeah. Um, we, we do hire professional medics, uh, which I think is a great idea. Yeah. You know, have some medical people on hand to do check-ins with people or to take care of first aid emergencies if someone's really hurt and they need transport to a hospital, make sure you have a sober driver, you know, standing by to do that. I mean. This yeah. is really basic stuff, right? Yes, yes. This is not rocket science. Um, in addition to that, um, I think it's a great idea to have a, an in-house crew of health and safety people. I really like the ranger model, right? It's an old idea. It's not just something Burning Man came up with, although there are, of course, the Burning Man rangers. But, you know, there's a, a long tradition of park rangers or or other kinds of rangers that look out for people in environments, right? So, uh, so at our events, we have a, a crew of rangers who, uh, who patrol the event in pairs, you know, of people 24-7 uh, throughout the entire uh, course of the event. And, uh, and people know that they can go to them for assistance, 
advice, um, help of any sort, and uh, and then we have you know leaders of, of each uh, shift. You know those shifts are about six hours long, and we recruit those rangers from within our community and train those people. And then there's a subgroup of those people who create a quiet space inside mm -hmm. our event and staff mm -hmm. that space, and we recruit kind, competent, thoughtful people who can think on their feet yeah. and just provide that kind of community care. Together with those teams, the tea house servers. If there's a place that you know, you know, the music's loud, it's late, you're tired, you're having a great conversation with someone, you could say, oh, I just need to sit down and hydrate, take yeah. a rest. Yeah. Why don't we go to the tea house? Yeah. and just have a nice cup of tea and continue this conversation, right? <laughs> and music festivals, are there's nowhere to find this type of stuff. Music festivals is just, you're either raging at the stage or there's the porta-potties. Exactly. And that's, like, that's it. Right. So that's why I started the tea house. So if, if, if you're on the playa, come find us, Full Circle Tea House and Camp Soft Landing. We're usually around 9.15 between B and D, if you're a burner. Or at our, you know, WVC and take three events. We have the tea house present. There's some place you can go. Um, I think a lot of risk reduction is proactive, ideally. What do people run into trouble with at a big raging festival or event? They're tired, they're dehydrated, and they're lonely, right? So if you can provide a social space where people can fill up their water bottle, yeah. have a cup of tea, maybe take a nap or a yeah. snuggle on soft pillows, yeah. you know, and, a, and some nice people to talk to at the tea bar yeah. or say nothing. Yeah. Just sit down at the tea bar, have your nice cup of tea, take it all in, take a little nap, then go back out and rage, yeah. right? Wow. Just, yeah, just such a, such a very practical, uh, mentality to to having more of these options uh, available yeah and having professionals available medics and counselors this is so important because we typically think of of how do you meet how do you mediate how do you do any of this mediation um, well um, you mediate by having professionals like you said that um, some of your mediators are actually like certified um, for dealing with cases of rape? Yeah, so what we do is um, we have a, we recruit from within our community people with special skills. For example, um, I try to recruit somebody uh, for each of our events to lead um, sobriety support groups, right, at our events. Somebody who is themselves supporting their own sobriety for whatever reason, right? Doesn't matter really what. Um, so that if you want to come to one of our events and be sober, not use anything, yep. you might be around other people who maybe are using cannabis, but you don't want to, whatever, doesn't matter. There are groups uh, on site a couple times a day that you can go to and get support for your decision yep. what, for whatever reason you're making it. Um, in terms of mediators and counselors, we always have somebody 24-7 to step in and who's a professional mediator and is trained as a rape crisis counselor to, uh, to step in and provide 
mediation and that kind of counseling support immediately, yeah. on, call. on call. So the rangers know that they have somebody like that who can come in and provide that service. In between events, we've recruited our own group of mediators from within our community, again, who understand our values, uh, who have each training in mediation or as social workers or as counselors, they bring those skills with them. And, um, and we consider complaints and incidents of conflict in between our events, or perhaps we follow up on something that took place during an event, right? So there's a group of people who will consider each of those cases, make a decision what to do, should the person who has violated consent be uh, removed from the invitation list? Mm -hmm. Is there, uh, is there a, uh, a series of steps we might ask them to do to get counseling, mm -hmm. to uh, attend uh, groups, to educate themselves about consent? A group who makes those decisions are really important for each community to create in their own way because then conflict is addressed. It doesn't metastasize and injure the community, right? A lot of communities have yeah, been yeah. torn apart yeah. by conflict. Yeah. So if yeah. you have a, a system, a group of people to yeah. carry out yes. what are agreed upon community values protocols for how they do that, yes. that are published yes. and understood, then you can go a long ways towards really healing the kind of conflict that just happens within communities yes, and, yes. and not, um, you know, the default is impunity, right? Nothing happens. People have hard feelings, people are hurt, people are injured. Communities can, can really take action. Um, another thing I will say is that, is that these people who will make decisions about conflict are precious. They're precious community resources. Treat them like a precious resource, right? Do everything you can to prevent them from burning out. Yeah. It's a hard job. It's a hard job, yeah. I would suggest that the group of people in your community who are making decisions about how to deal with conflict are separate from the group of people who, let's call them case managers. Sure. Understand sure. what I'm saying? So one group makes a decision about what to do in a specific case. Let's say, in that case, somebody has done something that violates a community agreement. The case manager, separate person, yeah. will follow that case, follow that person, yeah. make sure that they get the counseling or support that they need. Separate those two groups. Don't burn out the group of people making the decisions. Communities make this mistake all the time. That's a precious resource. Interesting. A case manager case for manager. community guideline violations on a per cases per case basis. Social workers do this. You know, in a social work team, there's a group of people who make a decision, and then they're the case managers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Same thing. I've learned so much working yeah. with uh, yes. professionals in our community who do this and who are part of our mediation team. Protect them. They are a precious resource. People will cycle in and out of this group. Identify the people in your community who have the skill. See if you can create your own internal group to reflect your own values. The more that you're teaching us about this, the more I'm realizing that your community guidelines need to be a part of every single uh, community, really. Well, they're best practices, you know. I mean, w they're published on the WVC website. Um, 
under the projects tab. It's one of our projects for community health and safety. There are just a whole list of best practices. Pick and choose for what works for your community, what works for you, what reflects your values. Modify them. If you have new ideas, feedback, yeah. get in touch with me. I'm Annie at Take3Presents.com. That's, that's an interesting point too is that is that you adjust them to your own community. So these community guidelines, like you're, like we're just saying, it was like these are really powerful ones for a lot of people, and then for other people, their communities are going to take and maybe remove a couple or add new ones and sure. augment them because some communities maybe really like rough play or whatever, and then they yeah. want to yeah explore just that in some way. But you know, there's also yeah, there's all, there's all different styles of community to apply um, values and, um, and principle sets and documentation and, and, um, and the proper mediation teams. All this type of stuff is so interesting. Even for sobriety, we were talking about that earlier, just how important that is for those that want the support um, that typically don't get it. And I'm imagining these festivals now not having just stage and porta potties, but rather I'm imagining tea houses and sleeping areas and, and, um, and guidelines, community guidelines posted around and you get them via email beforehand and you like have to read it and accept it. Yep. This type of stuff. These yeah. are like, yeah. They're, these aren't really complicated ideas. You know, these are pretty simple ideas, but if, you know, communities want to embrace what works for them, modify them to suit their own values. Um, it can really help to promote harmony and to de-escalate conflict yes. and uh, make people feel empowered yeah. and also safe, which is pretty big, right? Yeah. Yeah, this actually full circles us all the way back to your initial points about unity and communities, and and this is a great way principle set to get us to get us there. Annie, this is such a pleasure. I'm really happy we're able to sit down with you and talk about all of this. And I want to ask you a couple of questions that we typically ask on the way out of our shows. One of the first question that we like to ask is, if you think we're alone in the cosmos, <laughs> no. I don't think we're alone in the cosmos. I think that we uh, haven't quite developed the technical capacity to communicate with other beings and entities in the cosmos. Um, I think that we will. I like to think it'll happen in my lifetime. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Mm -mm. We're, we're going to develop the technical capacity capacity to communicate with the others. Mm. I think we have received some interesting signals from other parts of the cosmos. I mean, that, that photo of the black hole was mm. pretty cool the other day, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We are not alone in the cosmos. We're, <laughs> we're just perhaps technologically behind other beings in the cosmos in terms of our ability to communicate. Interesting. And then do you think that this is a simulation? Us right now? Um, no. I, I think that this is um, a present moment and it's not simulating anything. It's a true moment in time. And the, the, it's and maybe another way to, to potentially phrase it rather than it being like a false if it's a simulation then it's like false it's not real or whatever that it is still real it's just that um 
if it's uh, based reality or not. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think reality is a subjective value, right? Different people experience reality differently. Our experience of this moment is going to be different from all you folks watching on a web stream, right? Yeah, that's right. So wherever you are, I hope you're enjoying this conversation, this moment in time out on the net. Blessings to your experience, right? And that is, it looks, it's a video stream for them and it's in person for us, so it could right? easily look simulated to, uh, on a video stream. Easily. <laughs> Annie, and the last question we like asking on the show is, what is the most beautiful thing in the world? Mm, the most beautiful thing in the world is the capacity for love. From all beings. Yeah. Capacity for love, the capacity for forgiveness, the capacity for kindness, the capacity for mercy and for care. Yeah. Whatever happens next, you know, if those things are are true and are upheld, then we'll all be in the moment together. Yeah, it's so beautifully said. We agree. And we believe in our future generations being able to get us there. Absolutely. The young people are so empowered with those yeah. principles. I have a lot of faith in, in the younger generations coming up behind us. Yeah. We make every effort in all of our gatherings to include people from all generations. Yeah. Especially at Take Three events because a lot of the festival scene tends to trend younger. But including people of all ages has really created a more of a richness of experience and a passing along of knowledge. Yes, yes, yes. That transgenerational wisdom. Annie, what a powerful show on these best principles and practices for community, safety, health. This is really powerful. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and teaching us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate being here, and thanks to everybody who's been watching. Thank you for uh, listening to us today. Yes, yes. Huge thank you to you, Annie. Huge thank you to everyone at home. We greatly appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching. We would love for you to let us know your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Go and share more of these principles and practices, these community guidelines with more people around you for maximizing safety and health in our communities. Also, you know, tweak them and apply them at, at your will. And also, huge shout out to Ron Vargas, our producer and director. Thank you so much, Ronnie. And support the artists and entrepreneurs that you believe in. Our links are below. Help us grow, help us stay afloat. And support the artists in your communities as well. Help them sustain and grow. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you soon. Peace.